Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 102. Well, guys, I guess uh, everybody now knows whether they got a golden ticket or not. Uh, I know you two decided that the only way to play the game was to not, or to win the game was to not play the game. Yeah. I didn't really consciously make the decision. I already had planned, so. Yeah, I feel pretty good about my decision. I saved quite a bit of money. So, now I just got back from a conference and uh, I'll probably go to another conference later this year. So, um going to have to skip Dub Dub this year. It kind of bums me out because I probably won't be able to justify going to 360i Dev this year. Well, you might win a ticket at the Cocoa Heads meetup. You never know. I think that happened to sure. you last year, didn't it? It did. So, yeah, I guess as you can guess, I. I did win the gold ticket. I totally did not expect to win it this year. Figured this was going to be one of the years where working from home would pay off and I would just work from home and have some sessions live streaming and and be good to go. But yeah, it it actually worked out this year. And you had quite a few people from your company uh, enter the lottery and you were the only one. I don't know how many people entered. There was one comment in our Slack that This year, a lot of them decided to opt for babies rather than conferences. Maybe there was less than normal from my company that put in for the lottery. But yeah, I happen to be the only one. It's going to be a little strange. I do know other people that are going, just not not nearly as many as previous years. I don't know whether that means more people are coming from different areas that haven't come before, or or maybe the the conferences uh, jumped the shark as they used say or used to say it's no longer the cool thing to go to so find out it's not in san francisco so that makes you know a lot of people to take advantage of dub dub as an excuse to go out and visit friends while they're there and see the city and uh, can't do that as easily from san jose well what you can't see the city or at least you can't see san francisco but you can do all those other things if you have people who work in apple or whatever it's probably yeah closer maybe for them yeah yeah i just i just know some people have some friends that work in san francisco so oh yeah like i did i guess usually part of the excuse to go yeah (laughs) yeah i guess i did see some of my friends who worked in san francisco not at apple last year all right yeah not impossible but it's a little extra work to to make that happen yeah yeah i actually got my plane ticket and i'm flying into the san francisco airport like normal uh because it was a little cheaper but then i looked up the the train information and it's gonna take me a good hour and a half or so to get from the uh sfo downtown san jose it's not like before where it was a half hour train ride or so you're gonna bring back an extra vr system from apple that they're gonna have under everybody's chair though right sam oh yeah you won't (laughs) you won't get it though no you're bringing an extra one (laughs) oh yeah i have kids (laughs) So, um, Alcoff is usually in San Francisco as well during Dub Dubs. So the people who don't get a ticket often, uh, will hang out in San Francisco with their friends and go to Alcoff. What are they doing this year? So interestingly, they're right next door, I believe in a, in a hotel that connects to the conference center. 
And so they're there. They'll be right next door, and it'll be easy to just pop over and hang out at Alconf. Uh, I registered for my ticket there. I couldn't justify the, the, the donation price, though, since the ticket was already so expensive. I, I will probably stop over, especially if the keynote venue is uncomfortable like it was last year. And also, Layers has announced that they'll be there in San Jose as well. I'll be curious to see what some of the uh, the various companies do about uh, evening events like Twitter and uh, I know Crashlytics. I think Crashlytics and maybe a few other companies, or quite a few other companies, would have parties. I assume they'll try and do the same thing. They didn't necessarily have them at their headquarters. I mean, San Jose is still no, a no. You're right. Place. You're right. They usually rented out a bar or yeah. some sort of uh, event. I know, like, the Cartoon Museum was a common venue. And the Yerba Buena. Yeah, was, some of those companies Yeah, some of those companies may have uh, already made lots of plans and reserved space way in advance, anticipating it. But, you know, hopefully they can get their money back if they did that. I don't know, because... Apple, when they they didn't announce the dates until they announced the date and the venue at the same time. True. They, uh, I know people tend to speculate the dates based on uh, Moscone reservations and things like that. But you're right. They probably uh, they probably didn't overcommit. So last year, the Buddy Build party was at the Slack headquarters. So yeah, there will probably be some of the smaller parties that that will be affected by it, but not not that many. If you want to check out an interesting uh, uh, event place while you're out there, Sam, there's a podcast uh, on Relay FM that's doing their meetup at the San Jose Museum of Quilts and Textiles. <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> there's, there's unique venues in San Jose as well. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure these companies will find places to uh to have people get free yeah. food and stuff. Yeah. Free food. Yeah. They'll find a way. Free booze. Yeah. Well, definitely. So we got uh some updates this week, right? Or this past week. Yeah, we finally yeah. got all the stuff. We were complaining about all the betas and we have iOS 10.3 and 10.3.1 already, so that's cool. You know, interestingly, 10.3 includes the new APFS. And if you noticed, maybe your upgrade took a little longer than usual. That's because it was redoing your file system. But uh, as far as I know, it's gone off without a hitch. Oh, yeah. I, I, they've talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, but it seems like they're, it's kind of just like more metadata on top of HFS+. Plus. So I think all they're really doing is adding more metadata. They're not actually moving any of your files around. Like they build up some more, like a database for that upgrade time so it doesn't seem like it's super dangerous what actually happens which is probably why they could do it in place uh but yeah it's kind of cool that they rolled that out to however many hundreds of millions of people all at once new file system (laughs) pretty cool yeah (laughs) it's not something that happens every day that's for sure and you can do night shift on your mac now which is always fun i guess you could probably you could probably do it before (laughs) but yeah, I was using Flux. Yeah. So, so some things I I've heard about the new APFS, and it's probably not a big issue on on iPhones themselves, but 
it doesn't do any kind of um, like Unicode. Um, I don't remember the term, but take the word like cafe. Yeah, file like normalization a, of the file names. Yes, mm-hmm. Unicode normalization. So you could potentially have two files with the same name, visually the same name, but say that E with the accent is a couple different Unicode characters. And so they'll look the same to you, but they won't be the same. I'm just waiting for the first exploit to take advantage of that. Not necessarily on iPhones, but more when it really starts hitting the, the laptops and the desktops. Yeah, that's that's going to be super fun. That's probably why it didn't come in 10.12.4 or whatever. <laughs> well, also it's a case-sensitive file system. Yeah, there's all. I know. It's going to be tricky. More yeah. more tricky on, on macOS for sure. Yeah. So real quick, can you guys open up your phones and see uh, which of your apps are getting shamed? Go to it's general about and then applications. It's like the fifth row in the second section. General about and then applications. Uh, so these are all the apps. These are the app shaming apps, the ones that are not 64 bit. Uh, okay. So I see That's a couple. Yeah, I see a couple apps on mine that are I think listed as essentials in the app store. So and then also <laughs> a couple apps that are from big companies like uh, Google and Microsoft. Um, Google Earth is one. Yep, I got that one on there. The. Uh... So yeah, I wonder if come iOS, the next version of iOS, if we're gonna have a kind of another round of kind of apps dropping out of the app store if they haven't been updated a lot of these are even just like games that a lot of times you make a game and you release and you don't need to update it it just works fine after a new os version is coming out but i wonder if like some of these games are just going to disappear i don't have a whole lot it's about enough to fill up the screen on my iphone 6s yeah anything surprising on yours alex i I hadn't updated my phone yet so i I was traveling uh up until yesterday so uh, i'm updating it now so maybe by the end of this i'll have an update for you all right so you can shame some apps later on (laughs) well well, that's that's brave to upgrade file systems while you're recording a podcast (laughs) (laughs) surprised the national geographic their park guides app is not upgraded yeah, it that seems a like really it's a nice app when it came out. Yeah, it seems like these are all apps a lot of times that either are games that are maybe older games or apps where they obviously are an organization that did not want to hire a bunch of app developers, so they don't have an app that they maintain on a regular basis and you know, they they did it once and boom, it came out or whatever. So, yeah, we'll have to see if that list kind of shrinks in the next couple of months as these companies realize that they're being shamed or or if not i think it would be a great consulting opportunity but the, the question is is do some of these companies even have their source code anymore i don't i don't know if say xyz organization who may have gone through some different acquisitions would even have access to their source code at this point yeah so yeah. could you write swift on a non-64 bit or on 32-bit only or did you always have to release a, release a 64-bit um, binary for Swift. I wonder if there's these like apps that are written in Swift 1 that need to be converted. Oh, that would be Because that would suck. <laughs> I don't think it was 32. No, because it would run on an iPhone 5. So yeah, you should be able to do 32-bit Swift. Well, 
But when it the, came the, you out, were able it to supported iOS seven. But iOS seven, I think iOS seven ran on a four and a four S, or definitely ran on a four S. But you were shipping a universal binary at that point. Yeah. With so, if you have a universal binary, then you have sixty four bit and you're fine. It's it's right. it's only if you have you're only shipped a thirty two bit binary. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, it doesn't I, seem like you could do that with Swift. Yeah, I don't think you could. Yeah, Swift wouldn't have been 32-bit only, but it definitely would have had 32 and 64-bit. Right, so uh, you couldn't slices. Yeah, so there's there was probably not a way to build with Swift that you weren't doing a universal binary. So you're fine if you did Swift, which is nice because Objective C normally just compiles. You're just dealing with all of the the API changes <laughs> then at that point. So that's yeah. nice. <laughs> Although I ran into an issue today. Well, not there earlier this week with Xcode 8.3. And one of our uh, files has a, a misplaced uh, capitalization in it, which the import statement is uh, using a different case for it. And I think it's uh, something block operation. And the L is capitalized on the import statement, but lowercase in the file system, or, or maybe I got it backwards. But that worked in Objective-C in Xcode 8.2, but come Xcode 8.3, it stopped working. So I had to up, update that import statement. And this is some old code, and it's been working for a long time. Yeah, that's a weird one. I think we ran into that today, one of my teammates, I think, hit that. I'm guessing it has to do with the APFS being case-sensitive. Yeah, that's what I suspect. A, yeah, they're, they're just kind of looking towards the future there. That makes sense. So is there anything... So we also got Swift 3.1. Um, is there anything to talk about really there? Assuming there are. There are definitely some changes. Um, also, wasn't this version of Xcode the last one to support Swift 2? Or the, the previous one, 8.2, was the last one to support Swift 2? Yes, you're right. It, 8.3 drops support for it. So, yeah, that kind of why I pushed to get my uh, Swift 3 upgrade um, completed before uh, A3 went gold. Yeah, it's, it's no fun being stuck on an old version of Xcode. I guess I'm looking at the release notes, and I think we've talked about this before, but it is source compatible in theory with Swift 3.0, so or 3.0.1, I guess. Um, so you should be good for the most part if without having to redo a bunch of stuff but they did add a couple random features here and there and yeah, i don't think there's any breaking changes yeah. in this one though i did hear that the whole um open file private private stuff is kind of possibly going to be reworked just before <laughs> yeah uh, that's yeah i think there is uh some strong feedback about file file private so yeah we could see that change again. It's definitely an awkward keyword. Yep. So, um, you know, we're already kind of 20 minutes in. Why don't we jump into our main topic for tonight? Sure. What do you got for us? So we're, we've been kind of going through a list of some key things that we think any app needs to do for a production quality application. So tonight we're going to talk about localization. Uh, so localization is essentially you know making your app work appropriately for a particular country or language, and you know primarily we think about strings or text in the application and having translations for different languages, but it also includes things like 
dates, currency, numbers, um, measurements, uh, name names, as well as right to left versus left to right uh, text. So if I live in the U.S., why do I care about localization? Well, there's there's two reasons why you know we would recommend you doing this. Uh, one, uh, adding additional language support or localization support can help sales of your app in other countries. Um, not necessarily necessary for every application, but uh, for certain applications, you never know. There might be a country out there that picks up on it um, far more than U.S. I remember a friend of mine had a app, and for whatever reason, his sales in Japan were way better than the U.S. Uh, but the other reason is even if you aren't translating your app, you know, we de- right away, you will definitely benefit from moving all your strings into a strings file, you know, going through the steps of localizing the text at, at a minimum. Uh, so in the future, it'll be easier to add additional language support. But I also kind of like the idea of having the strings all moved out to a central location and not cluttering my code. It's definitely easier to replace a string, especially if you're using a string across multiple places in your app, update that text a little or you uh, misspelled it. It's really easy to misspell or type, create a typo when you're hard coding a string. Certain yeah. words always get. Yeah. I've also used it to help out with um, when I have an app that has different variations, I'll have different strings, string files. So I can replace copy um, throughout the app for different branding or, or whatever it may be. Uh, so it's kind of a nice way of handling that as well yeah i have to admit i haven't done much localization myself uh if anything i've you know extracted some some strings and used ns localized string to to make it so i could later on but i've never actually gone through the process of of doing that so how do you so what else what else is there other than throwing some stuff in ns localized string which basically just lets you have this file where you can Put all these different languages uh, pl- placeholders for the strings. Yeah. So just using NS localized string, which in Objective C is a macro, and a, you know it's a function in in Swift, um, that really doesn't do anything for you. Uh, you know you have a key, and then you have a comment that you can put in there, and there's a few different flavors of the macro or function, um, but that doesn't give you the string file. So you've got to either create a string file manually or uh, there's a command line tool called GenStrings that'll go through your application, find all those calls in its localized string, and generate the strings file for you. And the strings file is just um, it's just a key value um, list inside of a, a text file. Yeah, I was really glad Apple did not introduce a plist for that kind of thing. You know, they use those plist files everywhere, and in this one case. They did a good job not doing that. Yeah. And with the strings file, like just kind of the generic strings file approach, you can also have parameters passed into the strings. So, you know, if you have some variables, um, you can use the typical string format uh, replacement characters and uh, make your calls passing in uh, those characters or using string format. Um, but you mentioned the plist. Uh, there is 
a style of the strings file that is a plist, which is the localizable strings dict file, um, which you use for handling things like ordinality. So if you need to replace a word for, you know, plural, you know, zero, none, other, um, one, two, three, etc., um, you can have a dictionary of different exp- ways of representing that, like person, people. Um, so, so that's kind of a way of handling those scenarios as well. So you don't necessarily have to put conditional statements in your application to say if quantity is equal to zero, use this string. If quantity equals uh, or is greater than one, use a different string, and so on and so forth. Uh, so th- that's kind of a nice way of handling that. That is, uh, you know, Android has had this thing called plurals for a long time, and I had no idea that iOS had something similar. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go look that up because yeah. I've always been jealous of Android having that <laughs> capability. Yeah, it's you often don't find reference to it when you look at uh, different blog articles on on localization. So. Um, but pretty easy to do. You just create this a new file and uh, use the the format uh, that for the uh, table. So this goes into the table um, functions for uh, NS localized string. And um, so yeah, yeah, that's definitely you know a nice tool to have uh, in the toolbox for localization. You don't have to do anything in code to handle that. Um, <laughs> you know, Alex, if you drank beer, I'd buy you one right now. It's something I've wanted for a long time. Oh, cool. Do you, know, glad, do you uh, know how long that's been there? <laughs> oh, it's been there for a very long time. It's it's not new at all. It may, it may even predate iOS. It may be something they had on the Mac. So, uh, you know, going beyond strings, uh, there are date and currency formatters. I'm sure most of us have interacted with the NS date formatter, uh, but you can pass in a locale to that and have it formatted appropriately for the locale. So, you know, in the U.S., we like our month, day, year, but most everywhere else likes day, month, year, and or you know some variation of that. Currencies, obviously, you know that'll vary, um, but it's more than just like pound or dollar. It's also some in some locales. The groupings use the period and the comma for decimal. Some countries, it's considered kind of rude, I guess, to show cents. Uh, so typically, it truncates it to the nearest whole number. Interesting. I don't. I don't know for certain if the currency formatter in, uh, in Swift does that or not. Uh, but I've definitely seen that on other platforms. Huh. And then just recently, I think with iOS 10, Apple introduced the measurement class. So you have, uh, you have tools for dealing with things like, um, pounds or feet or, you know, different measurements. I don't know all the units that it supports, but you know, that can always be tricky converting from one unit to the other. You're going from imperial to, um, metric. Yes. Metric. That that thing that they tried to teach you in elementary school and never really worked yeah. out. Yeah, never stuck. Yeah. But it, it, it's funny because it has in some ways, you know, it, in America, you, you buy gas by the gallon, you buy milk by the gallon, but you buy two liters of soda pop 
for instance. Wow, now everyone can figure yeah. out where we are because you called it soda pop, Sam. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those well, words called... that's very, very regional in the US. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to call it pop, but it's soda, soda pop, or Coke if you're in the South. I wonder if anyone's Either ever way. tried to localize uh, carbonated sugar carbonated water. sugar water for uh, <laughs> for for <laughs> yeah. spot in the in the United States. It seems like there should be an open source library to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think locale gets you specific enough to do that. It's a little too fine grain uh, local local jargon. <laughs> so you can have uh, en dash us dash something. No, you'd have to like prompt for their location. To, to get the proper carbonated beverage word. <laughs> we can submit a, a radar for that. So moving on from measurement, there's a person name components formatter uh, to deal with people names. Uh, you know, first, middle, last, or surname, given name. Uh, it's, you know, proper format kind of varies by locale as well. And uh, it's kind of nice because I, th I think it can parse the name and um, handle that uh, presentation for you a little bit better than doing that on your own. I have not had yeah, a well. chance to use that yet, so uh, I can't say how useful or powerful it is, but it seems like a good idea. Well, I think even if you make a few mistakes while localizing an app, people will still give you credit for actually trying. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of an iterative thing. Like you can, and we'll kind of get to the approach for actually getting the translations later. But um, yeah, you know, definitely, you know, make the effort and it'll probably need improvement. But um, you know, one that Apple has been pushing a little bit more and Android as well. Uh, and they built some more support in the OS for it in the last couple of versions is right to left languages. Like Arabic is probably the classic example of that. Um, yeah, Arabic, Farsi, Hebrew, not Chinese. I guess it depends too on the Chinese not really being a language, but their writing style is a lot different. Yeah, I think uh, historically it used to be top to bottom. And I think, you know, with more and more, um, they're left to right. If we have any uh, listeners in China who want to correct us, feel free and reach out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have no we're clue. Completely reaching <laughs> on that. Um, but but it is something that you should be aware of because it's one of Apple's big emerging markets. Right? What you're saying? There's a lot of people with iPhones in China. That's insane. Yeah, yeah I guess <laughs> well, we should. Definitely. <laughs> there are. We should worry it. about it. Yeah, in India as well. Um, some of their languages are right to left as well. So can't go too deep on that uh, in this episode, but it's definitely something to keep in mind, especially if you want to have a global reach. You know, it, it not only changes the way the text is displayed, but how the app flows. Um, so a lot of a lot of things get flipped uh, from left to right to right to left. Yeah, I remember the the demos from uh, Dub Dub when they first added this were. Or pretty mind blowing to me that just by you know using different constraints, all of a sudden it's like boom, the app looks completely different <laughs> just because by kind of swapping how things go. But yeah, yeah, and and that's a good point is that to achieve this kind of relies heavily on auto layout and um, having constraints that are based on 
leading and trailing as opposed to left and right. Right. And I think it's a good point too to even just view your app in one of these languages or in a phone that has its locale set to this because there are definitely bilingual users mm -hmm. out there who may download your app and <laughs> if you're using a mixture of right to left and left and uh leading and trailing then your layout could be totally messed up so we talked a lot about strings and numbers and and things in code so using ns localized string but a lot of people use storyboards or nibs and it's uh you know pretty easy actually when you add a new language it'll ask you if you want to export the strings from a storyboard uh, so it'll create a string file for for each storyboard and uh, after that it kind of works the same way um, I think there used to be very old uh, versions of Xcode to localize a storyboard. It basically, you had a copy of each storyboard, so it's quite a bit of work. Uh, so extracting the strings is is pretty nice uh, compared to that. I think the only time I've actually tried to do that was when Xcode did have copies of the storyboard, and I thought, no, I'm not going to go down this path. It's too much. Yep, yep. That, uh, that's definitely likely to be error prone. What happens when you have a language that's very verbose? What, what are some of the things we can work around or use to test with that? Yeah, so, um, you know, this audio layout definitely comes in handy here. Uh, but to test it, uh, you can do what's essentially string doubling or um, they call it pseudo languages. So you can, in the in the scheme, you can select the target, uh, select the run destination menu and choose edit scheme. And then on the, there's an option to choose a language and, and you want to select pseudo localization for the application language. And that'll essentially double the strings for you. So it so, automatically doubles it for you. Yeah. Nice. So that's pretty handy. So, you know, th that should be worst case scenario. And if your app still looks good that way, then uh, you should be in good shape. I'm guessing some people in Germany would beg to differ that only doubling is worst case scenario, but uh, it definitely will help you find out a lot of cases where you might run into trouble. Yeah, your mileage is going to vary. If you've got a short word and or something, it's probably going or a short phrase, then the doubling might not be enough. I think it'll get you 90% of the way there for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the tools, but there's also some new static analysis tools that you can turn on in Xcode 8. So you can switch on missing localiz localizability, and uh, that will that'll warn you. Uh, you know, it'll spit out a warning. I think in the console, uh, maybe in the analyze feature as well, that you have a string that is being displayed that wasn't localized, and there's a missing localization uh, option. It can also warn you that you're missing comments uh, in your NS localized string, which I think a lot of people probably get lazy and don't put anything in the comments. But this, those comments can be very helpful when you take that file and pass it on to a translator. You know, it gives context. I wonder if it checks where you uh, just use the same word for the comment, because that's what a lot of people might do too if they're just trying to get around the uh, not having the comment, just put the same thing in. But yeah, I think sounds like it's definitely important to put in context for for what it is so someone knows what it actually means in their language 
or knows how to translate it. Yeah, a single word might not necessarily give enough context. So, like, say the word file or something in one place, you're going to want to use a, a certain word, and maybe in another place, you want to use a different word because it's a, two different things. So, yeah, you definitely want to put in some kind of context there. Yeah, and um, usually when I have my NS localized string, I'll use some sort of convention for the the key that may include the name of the screen. And it can be helpful to also provide screenshots to the person translating, because that not only gives a little extra context that beyond what the comment might provide, but it also gives them an idea of how much space they have to work with. So there might be you know different ways of saying things or translating it, and one might be more appropriate for the space available than another. So there's a, another tool for debugging as well uh, in the scheme editor. You can turn on enable location debugging, show non-localized strings. And that will basically just uppercase the text when you run the app. So you can identify problems with out-of-date lo localizations. Uh, so that still kind of requires a bit of manual uh, visual QA, but uh, it's another tool that we have available to us. And in that run, in that scheme, you can also change your location or region, uh, so you, so you can test in the simulator for for the locale uh, that you're interested in testing. And we talked a lot about the things you can do in the app, but there's also the metadata and and app icons and things like that. So you can also localize your your p list and your app icon. So that, that essentially works the same way as the localizable strings file. You get a, a different uh, p list when you localize the app for other languages. It'll create a, a separate p list for for each language. And you can edit there and reference a different app icon. You probably shouldn't be using text in your app icon. Well, uh, there could be locale specific, like, you know, even iconization. Like you could say, I'm not going to use text anywhere for buttons or anything. I'll just use icons. But some icons might not be appropriate for certain locales. They might not have the same meaning. Um, same with your app icon. So... I wouldn't necessarily use it to change text on an app icon, but you could use it uh, if an app icon is more appropriate for a different uh, locale. I don't know how often that scenario comes up, but uh, you do have that flexibility. I guess if you have a currency symbol in your app icon, that would be something you'd want to localize. Yeah, mm -hmm. or there could be colors that are more appropriate for different locales. Yeah, there's all kinds of cultural differences that we don't realize i don't know it's it's hard to find those out i was before the podcast uh i asked one of our international listeners for some resources and one of the things he pointed out was of microsoft of all people has this really good reference site on localization and i think they point out some style guide various hints and tricks for for doing localization so not from a technical standpoint just from a this is a good way to do it so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check that out. Okay. So, you know, when we go through and do the NS localized string, we still end up with these hard-coded string keys throughout our application. And that can get a little bit messy, especially if you end up using that same string uh, to represent different, uh, to 
reuse it in different screens. So uh, I don't really like having uh, those magic strings all over the place when they can easily have typos or, um, you know, if you change it in one place, you might forget to change it in another. So what I like to do is use a tool like r.swift that, among other things, it'll go through your strings files and generate uh, enums that you can use uh, so you get compiled time checking uh, with your application. So that's pretty nice and it's real easy to set up. Yeah, it's one of those things that I wish they'd integrate into standard library because it's it's so much nicer to have that compile time checked and yeah. one of those things I, that android guys can be like it's so much better over here in android land <laughs> yeah and that's why i think that's where the r dot the r and the r dot swift came yeah. from i think android generates yeah. this r dot java file uh, that represents all the those strings that are used throughout yeah all the resources yep yeah actually yeah like references like images and stuff too through that but I guess r.swift does that stuff too, correct? It can? Yeah, yeah, it does a whole bunch of things. Uh, names of storyboards, pretty much all the stringy stuff uh, yeah. that you might hard code in the application will help yep. you have compile time checking, strong typing. So, you know, those are that's kind of the, the main things within the app, but you also have to deal with localizing metadata in the app store, uh, screenshots, you know, you've got all the device sizes and you want to create screenshots uh, for each language uh, that can be pretty tedious fastlane makes that a lot easier for you not only can you automate taking the screenshots with fastlane i think the tool is called snapshot you can also uh, use it to automatically manage and push the metadata uh, to the to the app store because it's really easy to get dozens and dozens of screenshots right if you support multiple oh, yeah. languages. Oh, yeah. You've got five screenshots across, I don't, I mean, soon it's going to be even more. I think uh, five different device size, or maybe it's eight now if you have iPad. Uh, so, yeah, you can, the number gets pretty, pretty big. And uh, iTunes Connect isn't all that great with the image uploads. It, it can be kind of slow and tedious. And I don't think you can do, at least last time I, I had done this. You couldn't upload a group at a time. You had to do it one by one. Uh, so Fastlane takes a lot of that pain away. Yeah, otherwise it could be a full-time job. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with different languages. That's definitely super helpful. I, I know it's gotten a little bit better dealing with different screen sizes. Uh, you can just kind of, say, scale the biggest screenshot down. But yeah, Fastlane for the win there, I think. Yeah, yeah we're, we should have a new screen size uh, in a few months, so... That problem is just getting bigger. <laughs> I think right now it might be five. I was, I was thinking eight because the last application we translated, it was into eight different languages. So uh, eight times five times five, uh, the number is pretty big. Uh, yeah. it, or it's time consuming to get the screenshots and upload them. So, yeah. uh, you know, we definitely recommend don't just go to Google Translate and translate your strings that way. Uh, that's that's not going to get the best results, and not even close. Especially when you have the 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 variables in your strings, it can't really deal with that at all. But there are several services out there that are pretty cheap. Usually, you're paying pennies for for each word that gets translated, and you can take your strings file, upload it, hopefully with screenshots and comments, and uh, you can 
you can uh, get the strings back from them. And usually you're talking a few dollars, maybe ten, twenty dollars uh, for a lot of strings or a lot of languages. Do you have any services that you've successfully used, Alex? Yeah, I've used one called I Can Localize. It's not necessarily the uh, most modern uh, web application, uh, but uh, they basically crowdsource the translations. So you put in the strings you need to be translated and the languages, and then you can, people will apply to do the translation for you. And they're usually, you know, there are people who are, are native speakers. Uh, some of the, the, lesser common languages it can be a little bit harder to get people that can do the translation but um that service worked reasonably well i think you have to be careful with something like that because if you take a word a language like spanish for instance it has a lot of different localizations even even within in itself a lot of dialects and yeah a lot of dialects and sometimes i'll, I'll give you a good instance um the the verb to take in Spanish is can have two different forms, different words. And if you use one of them in one country, it means something very vulgar versus the rest of the world. So you have to be very careful about kind of having a, a universal Spanish dialect. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can get more specific in the locales, not only the language, but also the country. And I don't know how well services like I can localize support that and even with that you never really know what you're getting until you get somebody who's native uh you get users using it natively and give you feedback yeah one of the one of the tips we got from uh, a listener was that you could use uh fiverr.com if you've ever used that before you pay normally about five bucks and you'll have someone do something for you and uh for each person who does stuff it says where they're from so you can kind of make sure that that's where they're from and what language they speak. Uh, it's kind of another option if you need just a specific language maybe that you couldn't get and I can localize or, or wherever, what other service you use. So that's a, it's a good resource. As long as you're not paying them $5 to run Google Translate for you. Yeah. <laughs> so one other resource we got sent in uh, was there's this spreadsheet uh, that... I guess uh, the community has made for gaming-related uh, terms and translations, uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it's it's kind of cool. It has stuff like you know things that you would have in credits, like you know producer, director, or whatever, uh, or like gameplay things like attack, build, cast, all all these kind of words. So, so they've got hundreds of hundreds of you know various game related words translated uh, into a bunch of different languages so uh, if you're making a game and you need some stuff translated definitely check that out i'll put the link in the show notes it seems pretty useful yeah that's pretty neat all right i think that uh wraps it up for tonight yes <laughs> <laughs> all right so why don't you guys tell us where you can be found on the internet? I'm at Sam Quarter on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at AJ Robinson. The show notes for this podcast can be found at sharedinstance.com. You can email us at sharedinstancepodcasts at gmail.com. And you can join us on Slack at chat.com 
at shareditinstance.com.